welcome to Awaken Podcast. I hope you enjoy the teaching. If you have your Bible, why don't you turn there? And I want to read a portion of the book of Ruth. Uh, one of the most beautiful stories in the scriptures, I think. Uh, we'll just read the first part of it that will kind of open the scene, and then I'll fill in some of the blanks, and then we'll, we'll jump in here. So this is Ruth chapter 1. It says this, In the days when the judges ruled, so if you remember, we just studied judges. That's kind of where we are. Uh, there was a famine in the land. So a man, named, uh, a man from Bethlehem in Judah, together with his wife and two sons, went to live for a while in the country of Moab. The man's name was Elimelech, his wife's name was Naomi, and the names of his two sons were Malon and Kilion. Uh, They were uh, Ephrathites from Bethlehem, from Judah, and they went to Moab and lived there. Now Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died. She was left with her two sons. They married Moabite women, one named Orpah, not to be confused with Oprah, (laughs) and the other Ruth. Uh, They lived there about 10 years. Isn't her actual company named Orpah, though? Harpo. <laughs> when Naomi heard in Moab that the Lord had come to the aid of the people by providing food for them, she and her daughters-in-law, stick to the script, dude, prepared to return home from there with her two daughters-in-law. She left the place. Oh, her sons died. I skipped that part. Sorry, that was verse 5. They both died. So she, Naomi comes back to Moab with her two daughter-in-laws, left the place where they had been living, and set out on the road. They would take them back to the land of Judah. Then Naomi said to her daughters-in-law, Go back, each of you, to your mother's home. May the Lord show you kindness as you have shown kindness to your dead husbands and to me. May the Lord grant that each of you will find rest in the home of another husband. Then she kissed them goodbye, and they wept aloud and said to them, or, and said to her, We will go back to you with your people. But Naomi said, Return home, my daughters. Why would you come with me? Am I going to have any more sons? Who could become your husbands? Return home, my daughters. I am too old to have another husband. Even if there was still hope for me, even if I had a husband tonight that, and then gave birth to sons, would you wait until they grew up? Would you remain until an unmarried for them? No, my daughters. It is more better, or it is better... It is more bitter for me than for you, thank you, because the Lord's hand has turned against me. At this they wept aloud, and then Orpah kissed her mother-in-law goodbye, but Ruth clung to her. Look, said Naomi, your sister-in-law is going back to your people and her gods. Go back with her. But Ruth replied, don't urge me to leave you or turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. Where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be with my people and your God, my God. Where you will die, I will die, and there I will be buried. Pray with me if you would. God, as we uh, open your scriptures this morning, I ask that um, your spirit would reveal who you are to us. And as we uh, maybe look at a, a side of this story in the, in the book of Ruth and, and really you that is often overlooked, I pray, God, that you would open up our eyes, uh, that you would uh, allow us to see you for who you are in all of your beauty. God, that you are everything that we need. Um, everything is in you. And so I pray, God, that that would be available to us today and that we would have eyes to see it. And all God's people said, amen. So here's just a summary of the rest of the book of Ruth, right? Naomi, two, uh, two, two, or her husband, he dies. His, her sons die. You have these two daughter-in-laws. He asked, she asks them to go back to their land. They're Moabites. They're foreigners. She's going back to Israel, and she says, go back because you have, no, you have no future with me. You have no hope. She's a bitter old woman, according to the scriptures, who has, like, no hope of... of, of 
providing for herself, if you don't know anything about this culture and context, that was kind of the way a woman was secure, was by, the, by, by way of who she was married to and the fact that this person could provide the very basic needs for her in that context and culture. So she's got no hope. She says, go back to your land and find a husband that you can marry and you'll be, you'll be fine there. Orpah goes, Ruth stays. Uh, they get back to Israel, back to Judah, and she goes to a field, uh, to a, a field by the uh, uh, a field of the name of a guy named Boaz. Uh, Boaz sort of takes kindly to her, and she gleans behind the workers, which is to say that there are workers in the field who take all of the uh, the crops and the grain and whatnot. And then Ruth comes behind them and picks up what's left over. Boaz sees her uh, and takes kindly to her, makes sure that she has provisions and things, and uh, eventually becomes uh, what's called a redeemer to Ruth. And we'll get into some of the details of that. Uh, But he marries Ruth, provides a son. And long story short, at the end of the book, we find Naomi, who was this hopeless, bitter woman, holding the the, the grandchild of the greatest king of Israel, David. so it's this unbelievable story uh, with all kinds of different things. Now, if, if one were to teach this, you could focus on a lot of different things. The idea of redemption and a redeemer, which we'll touch on a little bit. Uh, the idea of Leverite marriage is certainly playing in the background here. If you didn't know in this, uh, in this time, in the law of Israel, there was something called the Leverite marriage. So if you had... Uh, if I had a brother and he was married to a gal and he died, it would be my duty as his brother to take her into my family and to hopefully pr- produce a son that would be able to sort of carry on her line. And it was a justice issue because if a person, if a woman in this context has a, a husband who dies and they have no, really they have no way of securing the basic needs that they, ha- that they, would, they would have, food, shelter, care, um, long, long time ago. So Installed in Israel's life together was this way by which a woman could be, um, could have life, could have the basic needs that she needed. Um, so Levi marriage is certainly in the background. The courage of Ruth is unbelievable in this story. Uh, the, the journey of Naomi, this hopeless woman who moves to this place where in the end of the book she's holding this beautiful son who becomes the grandfather of David, the king of Israel. Lots of different things that we could focus on. Here's what I want to do today. Uh, I want to basically, uh, I, we're going to do an overview of Ruth. Uh, that's what we kind of have to do in a, in a short session like this. But I want to focus on one particular piece. And I want to focus on um, essentially the feminine heart of God. Uh, I want to look at the ways in which we learn about who God is through a woman. Uh, now, you might be sitting here, and this may be um, different uh, let's just say that for some of us. Uh, and you might say, well, Micah, that doesn't, this, the text doesn't necessarily you know, have to go there. I actually, uh, not too long ago, if you remember in the First John series, we talked about heaven and I talked about hell and some thoughts about that. I had a friend call me and they're like, you know, I wanted to ask you about that. You know, I didn't think the text really led you to that point. Like you had to go there. And I said, you're right, I didn't have to go there. But part of my job as a pastor, uh, at least as I see it, is to exegete the text, but to exegete our community as well. And so what does this community need to hear? And what are the things that the text is bringing us to? Sometimes this has a little more life than this has, a little, has life for us. And so today, I'm following what I think has life for us in this community. And I want to look at this story of Ruth in that lens. What do we learn about God from the heart of a woman or from a woman? Um, now, I want to do that for a couple of different reasons. Number one, this isn't common in the scriptures. When we come to a book like Ruth and we find Ruth, and really the only other book in the scriptures is Esther that has the name of a woman. Uh, It's certainly one of the only books in the the scriptures that has the main story or the main characters dealing with women. 
This is not a common theme in the scriptures. So it's kind of a blip on the radar in the, in the 66 books that we call the canon. Um, and uh, obviously, if, if, you, if you've read the Bible uh, at all, you know that the Bible and the stories in the Bible are predominantly written about and by men. Uh, it's no secret. If you read it from cover to cover, there are more stories about men and about the, the characteristics of a man that are connected to God than there are women. Uh, God reveals God's self as Father, Son, and Spirit, right? Uh, I think there's really good reason for this. And I want to say that it's not because God has male genitalia. Uh, when we think about God... Often, because of what we read in the scriptures, it's a very male-dominated picture. And that kind of translates to, well, then that must be what God is like. And I think as, as, as we read this story and as we kind of unpack Ruth a little bit, I want to say, I want to I do this and I want to go here today because I think this is really important for us to hear. It's, it's really important for us to understand. From a theological level, if we step back, and we say, what is God? We know that God created both male and female and that both bear the image of God. So God is not more manly than, than feminine or not. Do you see what I'm saying? Like theologically, God is neither male nor female. God is in, in another category outside of or above gender. And so when we read the scriptures, we don't get that often because, well, listen, the Bible was written 3,500 years ago, right? In a culture in the ancient Near East, Think of modern-day Saudi Arabia. And if you think it's patriarchal at all now, then go back 3,500 years. And imagine, God, if God's going to reveal God's self, and he does it through the scriptures and through Jesus, in a particular time, in a particular context, in a particular culture, what are the other options that God might have in that time and in that space than to be most characterized by man, manly and masculine features and characteristics, right? In it would be absolutely bonkers if God was going to reveal God's self 3,500 years ago in the ancient Near East to do it any other way than what we have here. And I want to make sure that we get that that's not because that describes God more. That's a really key distinction here. So why are we doing this? Why would I go here? Uh, I think for us, as we come to the text today in 2012, uh, we have progressed a long ways away from when the Bible was written. And I think if we're honest about that, we would all agree. We don't think of women as property anymore. We don't think of women as good for childbearing and pleasuring of men. That's not how we think about women. There is an equality between a man and a woman that exists in God's good creation that is beautiful and we want to celebrate and lift up. That it's not like this, but it's like this. And so as we come to the text... In our context, in our culture, I think it's really important that a community offers a picture of who God is that is representative of the fact that God has created both men and women in God's image. And so as we study the book of Ruth, as we look at it, I want to look at it through that lens, and that's a couple of reasons why. So, a couple of high points from the book of Ruth as I read this story, and, and I would encourage you, maybe go back this week if you haven't already, and um, number one, I would say, Ruth uh, takes the role of God, takes on the role of God in the story. So in, the ancient, in, in this culture, in Israel, uh, this word redeemer, some of your translations might actually say kinsman redeemer. Does anybody have that in their text, kinsman redeemer? This idea of a redeemer 
is essentially to take on the responsibility for another. It's to go beyond um, care or even compassion for another person, and it's to actually take the responsibility of that person upon themselves. And really, actually, in the scriptures, the most commonly, uh, the most common referent to or of redeemer is God. God is seen and talked about as Israel's redeemer over and over and over and over again. God will defend Israel. God will vindicate Israel. God is seen as Israel's king. He's the owner of the land. He is, uh, he's Israel's deliverer. He's the creator, the, the sort of over, the overseer. So in scripture, this idea of a redeemer is most commonly attributed to God, to Yahweh, in relationship to Israel. So when this idea of redeemer shows up in the book of Ruth, and a lot of people, I think, when we read the story, we think, well, yeah, Boaz was the redeemer of Ruth. That's what he did, right? But if you read the story a little more closely, Ruth plays the role of a redeemer for Naomi. It's the central theme in the whole book. Naomi is this, this hopeless, she has no rights whatsoever. This, this woman is at the pinnacle of vulnerable in their culture and in their society. She has no husband. She has no sons. She's a foreigner in another land. And Ruth, this woman, says, I will take the responsibility of you upon myself. I will be your protector, provider. So Ruth is found in the fields gleaning, trying to gain you know, the most basic needs and, and, and uh, food and water and shelter for Naomi. Ruth is the one that steps into the role that is most commonly referred to or given to Yahweh in the story of the scriptures. And actually, Boaz... <laughs> If you, as, as I read it, I'm going to cr- critique it a little bit here. Boaz, you know, he, 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 he offers her a blessing at one point in the book. He says to Ruth, may, may, may Yahweh's wings cover you and care for you, essentially, which is, which is a reference to may God be your redeemer, right? Boaz is the closest thing to her redeemer. Well, there's one other discrepancy, but there's one other guy. They give him a chance to redeem, and he says, I don't think so. So then Boaz is next in line. So Boaz gives Ruth a blessing. May God be your redeemer and cover you and, and, and be you know, the one who protects you. And Ruth, at one point in the book, basically says, listen, thanks for your words. Thanks for your encouragement. Thanks for your blessing. But guess what, bucko? Unless you do something, nobody's going to redeem me. So your blessing can only be fulfilled by you. So what say you, right? You know, it's like, come on now, girl. You know, step up there and say something. So she goes to Boaz and says, like, I mean, just scandalous, scandalous. Goes to him in the middle of the night, sleeps at his, at, at, you know, by his feet on the threshing floor. And he wakes up and she's like, listen, you should marry me because you're the one who's going to fulfill the promise of Yahweh to me and my family. So Boaz gets all the credit in this deal. He, he just thought she was good looking, I think. You know, I mean, it, it, based on the actions that he takes, he's kind of like, man, this, he notices her, right? And he's like, hey, make sure she's okay. Make sure she's cared for, right? But Ruth is the one who steps into this role of redeemer on behalf of Naomi and cares for and takes upon herself the responsibility and the care. So in the story, we see a woman who takes on the role of God we see Ruth, this foreign, alien woman who's portrayed in, in this way uh, in the story. I think it's beautiful. The use of love in the book of Ruth is absolutely stunning. There's one part in the book of Ruth. It's, it's the only place in the entirety of the scriptures where love is spoken of between two women. Okay, So Ruth loves Naomi, right? This daughter-in-law loves her mother-in-law. 
Um, we've talked about first usage in the scriptures, right? You guys, if you've been around, you know this. So in Hebrew, the first usage of a word is really, really important. And often when that word is then used later on in scripture, it's actually taking back, it's, it's getting meaning from the first usage of the word. So does anybody just, I mean, we, this is like a million thousand Torah points at this point. The first usage of the, of the word love in the story of the scriptures, any guesses? Come on, just guess. What? Isaac. Abraham and Isaac, right? Turn to Genesis 22. Uh, back a couple of pages. Genesis chapter 22. Great story. Crazy story. Kierkegaard had a real heyday with this one. Fear and Trembling, in case you're wondering, is the name of the book. Genesis 22.1. Sometime later, God tested Abraham, and he said to Abraham, Here I am, Hineni. We've talked about this. And he replied, Then God said, Take your son, your only son, whom you Love, first usage of the word love in the story of the scriptures, is about a father who sacrifices his own son for the sake of the people, for the sake of what God is up to, for the sake of what God is requiring, asking. And we, that's a whole other series of what's going on there. Like, why would God do that? Um, be that as it may, the first usage of the word love is this father who gives up his son and now we have Ruth, who's, who's said to love Naomi, only usage between two women in the scriptures. And I think, it's very, I think we're on very good grounds to go back and say, where was this word first used and what kind of meaning did it have? What's the author of the story of Ruth trying to tell us? Ruth, this foreign woman, steps into a role where she sacrifices of herself for the benefit, for the shalom of another, for her sister, her mother-in-law, Naomi. Striking use of the word love. Ruth displays this idea of hesed. Hesed is this Hebrew word, and it means faithful, loving kindness or devotion. All through the scriptures, if you read a commentary on the book of Ruth, Hesed will come up. I absolutely promise you money-back guarantee. If you, can, if you can find me a commentary where the word Hesed doesn't show up, come find me and I'll give you 10 bucks. Everybody who's, who, who writes anything about Ruth would say that this is a story about Hesed, like faithful, loving kindness, devotion, steadfastness. The most common referent of the word Hesed in the whole scriptures is Yahweh. Yahweh's description or Yahweh's relationship to Israel is described as faithful, loving kindness, devotion. Sometimes it's translated grace. Over and over and over and over and over and over again, we find Yahweh having hesed, faithful, loving kindness, grace, steadfast kind of relationship to Israel. And here in this book, we find Ruth, a woman, a foreigner, an alien, you guys remember in the Old Testament it says, like, don't glean your, your, your fields all the way to the edges, but leave it for the who? The alien, the foreigner, and the widow, of which Ruth is all of. Right? She, you guys, you have to get this. This is so stark. This is, the contrast here is like, bing! It's flashing neon lights here. Ruth, an alien, a foreigner, a widow, the lowest of the low, the most vulnerable, the one who would have been on the out of the edges, the, 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 the outcast. The, you, you see what I'm saying? This person steps into this word that is used to describe Yahweh. And she has chesed kind of love for her mother-in-law, Naomi, who is also on the outside at the edge. 
the most vulnerable. I mean, it's brilliant. It's brilliant. And so we begin to see God, Yahweh, and Ruth in this story. And Ruth becomes a picture by which we see and understand and and recognize and hear the heart, the voice, the love of Yahweh through this woman, this foreigner, this alien, this mother, this mother-in-law, this sister. This is who we see God through in this story. Last, I would say, well, listen, I mean, how many of us have to look too far uh, if we think about love and steadfast kind of hesed kind of love? As I was thinking about this morning, I thought, where have I seen that in my life? I'll give you two people. They're both sitting right over here. My mom and my wife. I remember when I was a kid, uh, the five of us, my brothers, we all played hockey. And uh, hockey's wicked expensive, if you didn't know this. When there's five of you all wanting to play, uh, the bill racks up pretty, pretty, pretty quickly. So our area hockey league, you know, they had the names on the backs of their jerseys. Have you seen those little kiddos? You know, and then sometimes they have the, like, sponsors on their back. Every single team from, like, the in-house might teams, of which there are many, <laughs> Uh, to a bantams. I'm talking like at least two teams per category. So upwards of 15 teams, each with 20, 25, 30 kids on it. All who need their name tags sewn on the back of their jerseys. Coaches used to drop trash bags full of jerseys at my house. And my brothers and I would pin the names of these kids on the backs of their jerseys, and my mom would sit at the kitchen table and sew the names of every single kid in my, in my area hockey league so that we could play hockey. Just chesed, steadfast, faithful, long-suffering patience. And I learned what God was like in some ways because of that. I watched my wife uh, as, she, as she loves our kids and loves me. Heck, I'm a mess. You all know that. <laughs> and I see this, like, steadfast strength and faithfulness. And I think this is what we see in Ruth that's so beautiful. Um, Ruth, the woman, the daughter-in-law, the mother, shows us what God is like. Because sometimes... Sometimes we need a mom to show us what God is like. Um, I don't know if you've ever read The Shack. I don't read a lot of fiction, uh, truth be told, but I did read The Shack. And uh, I was just mystified by people who would like just like, you know, put it on a burn the book kind of list because of the way in which God was portrayed in this book. If you don't know, this guy goes to the shack and God shows up the, you know, in Trinitarian form, Father, Son, and Spirit at different points in the book. And this is a guy who had a horrible, horrible past, had all kinds of things that related to his dad, to where if God showed up as a father, like game, set, match, not good, right? So in the book, God shows up as this big, robust, African-American woman. And it's like, yeah, of course God shows up that way. And just like embraces this guy. 
And then later on in the book, he gets to the point where it, actually God shows up as a father. Uh, and it's, it's beautiful. But sometimes we need God to show up in a way that uh, is meaningful and is connected to who we are in our story. I, if you know me at all, uh, for, and I'll peel back my ribs here and let you stand inside my chest to quote a, a line from a song that we sing. Um, for me, God as Father is really, really, really hard. It's really difficult. So when we talk about God as Father, and when I read about God as Father, it's really hard for me. Because certainly, 100% connected to my story and my journey and my relationship with my dad. Um, much of which God has healed and is still in the process of healing. And I love my dad. That's not what I'm trying to do here. But for me, God as Father is a really, really hard metaphor and picture for me to relate to and connect to. But for whatever reason, God as this mother who just like takes me in has been so powerful and so meaningful. And uh, so as we came to this story of Ruth, I felt like we had an opportunity to say, and I recognize that like all kinds of people walk through the doors here on Sunday mornings. And for some of you, You've had strong, faithful fathers who have loved you well. And I celebrate that. And that's beautiful because we get to see in some ways as kids, like they, you know, who, who's, who images God to you? Mom and dad. Who, who, these people, men and women. And when we have unfortunate circumstances that happen connected, that taints how we understand. Remember, to the degree that we can picture and behold something in our mind is the degree to which we can be transformed by the truth of that reality. Paul says we behold God, we, we see in our mind. So for me, the first time I heard uh, this poem that uh, you're about to hear uh, was like... Uh, watershed kind of moment in my life. And I remember listening to this, and I remember, I remember just weeping because it was, to me, such a beautiful picture of what God does. And so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask that this morning, uh, wherever you're coming from, that you at least open yourself up to the possibility of, of hearing and experiencing God in this way. And I recognize that, that I'm asking you to trust me and uh, maybe be open to something that you haven't been open to before or that you haven't experienced before in hearing about God in this way. Uh, and I know that, that that's a big ask. Um, but I hope that we've built up enough trust together as a community um, that you'll say, okay, what, God, what would you have for me today? Um, so I'm going to ask my friend Mary if she would come. And uh, Mary is the, uh, the lovely better half of uh, Steve uh, Weens, who has taught at Awaken before. And uh, she's going to read a poem uh, called The House of God uh, that I heard for the first time in uh, our study group that I'm a part of. Um, and I think it just speaks for itself. Uh, and so I'm going to ask Mary to read that. And then we'll just have a few moments of silence. And, and then I'm going to offer a word of prayer. Uh, and then I'm just going to ask 
well, I'll dismiss you at that point. And uh, I don't know everything that walks in the door on Sunday mornings, but I've found that uh, it's all here. Um, and so whatever this is doing in your heart uh, and what God is doing, um, I just trust that the Spirit's at work. Um, so my friend Mary. you to imagine with me that in the midst of a long journey, you suddenly arrive at the place where the heart of God dwells. And God, like a mother, but the kind of mother God would be, meets you at the door with a look of unabashed welcome and draws you in. When you come to the house of God with the mud of trying dripping from your sleeves, covered in cruelties, your own and others, obscured by false agreements, she cleans your clothes, shakes them out, and hangs them up to dry. And you, she washes, washes, washes like water lapping on a rock, saying, let me get that off of you. And there you are. And now do you remember? So let us run to the house of God. When you come wounded to the house of God, she builds a circle around you. She stands guard and houses your pain. She holds your weeping head in her lap and whispers, I know. Gently, methodically, she tends each hurt, saying, All is well. You will be well. At all times, I am working to make all things well. So let us run to the house of God. When you come undone in the house of God, she gathers you up. She brings back all your scattered parts. She breathes vitality back into you, saying, here, here is your body. Here again are your hands, are your feet, is your mouth. Here is your mind. Here is your spirit. Here I am. Here you are. So let us run to the house of God. When you are hungry in the house of God, she sets out to nourish you entirely. She satisfies and delights your whole being. She heartens you with substance, saying, Take your time. I have all you need, and it is free. 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 So let us run to the house of God, when you are naked in the house of God, when you stand exposed by the limits of being human, what you can't make happen, what you can't stop from happening, what you can't know, she covers you. She sees you and she clothes you, saying, here is safety, here 
is grace. I know how you are made, and I call you good, good, good. So let us run to the house of God. And when the time is right in the house of God, she does a dance. She opens wide the doors. She presents you to the world saying, here is my beloved with whom I am pleased, so pleased, so very pleased. Find us online at www.awakencommunity.com or on Facebook at www.facebook.com backslash Awakening Community or on Twitter at Awakening Community. See you next time.